Chat on This are a series of conversations designed to be thought-provoking, informative, and offer an empowering approach towards well-being for your family. Brought to you by Advanced Health Chiropractic. Hi guys, welcome back to Chat on This. Um, I've got someone here who I think most of you will know because we talk about her work and we recommend her books often. Uh, The reason we do this is we really love coming alongside people who also celebrate the fact that the body does know how to heal and we have everything we need within us to work well. Uh, Sometimes our job is simply to remove what might be getting in the way of that, understanding our patterns and helping to build them back up again to ones that are the most beneficial they could be. So my guest today is Lara Bryden. She is a naturopathic doctor and a best-selling author of the books Period Repair Manual and Hormone Repair Manual. Those are the ones you would have heard us talking about a lot. Uh, These are both practical guides to treating period problems with nutrition, supplements, and bioidentical hormones. With a strong science background, Lara sits on several advisory boards and is the lead author on a couple of peer-reviewed papers as well. She has more than 20 years experience in women's health and she's currently has consulting rooms in Christchurch, New Zealand, which is very exciting, where she works with women with PCOS, PMS, endometriosis, perimenopause and many other hormone and period related health problems. However, she's currently in Canada. So we are recording this one across the world. Lara, welcome and thank you for joining us. Oh, thanks for having me, Lydia. Looking forward to our chat. We might get straight into it then, because I would love to understand, um, I guess, merge our worlds as well. What is the link between the brain and hormones? (laughs) It's bi-directional, as I'm sure you know. So the brain is part of the orchestration of menstrual cycles. It's sending signals to the ovaries to direct the whole process, and it's doing so in response to all the incoming signals. So, you know, food, like eating enough and stress and sleep and all of that, the brain processes and then, you know, that can affect periods. And then in the other direction, the hormones we make during a healthy menstrual cycle, namely estrogen and progesterone, not real progesterone, um, have many benefits for the brain. The brain loves both of those hormones basically and so that's one of the reframings I like to do because I think there's sort of this narrative or maybe not so much anymore but this idea that our hormones make our make us crazy or that our hormone you know female hormones have sort of a negative effect on the brain that is incorrect <laughs> the brain loves those hormones um and generally they both have sort of mood enhancing mood stabilizing effects cognition enhancing effects they both affect sleep so, yeah, in a nutshell, that's the bi-directional yeah. relationship. <laughs> I think you're exactly right. There has been, and hopefully not as much anymore, um, some more negative connotations around hormones. But also, we know that the body is very intelligent, probably a bit smarter than we are, um, and we don't have anything in us that we don't need or can't work with in both positive ways. Um, it does really bring us to the reproductive cycle as a whole is incredible and quite phenomenal and I've gone back to your book again this week and really dived into that um yet sometimes it still does get a bit of a bad rap for maybe it's inconvenience or the connotations we've talked about um or pain literal pain um so and many people I know they do suffer in regard to their periods 
How can a female's period reflect her overall health or what might be going on in her body? Yeah, well, as you know, in my first book, Period to Pair Manual, I talk about our period as our monthly report card in that it's a very helpful window into general health because our, our period, basically because our periods are like a barometer of everything else that's going on with our health. So in general, when we're healthy, we're going to have healthier, symptomless periods. I always do put a caveat in here. I always like to, there's always going to be some nuance to that. And what, you know, um, an example would be endometriosis is a little different. You know, it's a specific disease state that, so, you know, women, I don't want women to go away thinking, well, if they've got very painful periods from endometriosis, that's somehow a reflection of something they've done wrong. That's not what I mean at all. But generally, let's say just uh, for those of us who don't have endometriosis, we can circle back to endo if you want. But for those of us who don't have endo, my experience has been with thousands of patients, with myself and thousands of patients over the years, that the achieving symptomless, not painful, not too heavy periods is very doable for a lot of us. I know it can feel like it's a long way off and that's just a, a, a dream to have a, a symptomless period, but it's there for a lot of us. And uh, the route, the, the path to that, to a symptomless period is often quite simple things that we do for our general health, like, you know, eat well, cut out, reduce alcohol, get enough sleep, all the things I'm sure, you know, you work, we work on for all the other things in our health. And so one of the, with my books, I think one of the things I set out to do, and I think maybe have accomplished is re like is unify our periods with the rest of our health. Like they're not, our periods are not separate from the rest of our health. And there's this great, I remember years ago, I got this review on Amazon for period repair manual. And she said like, wow, I had no idea that what I, what you eat can affect your period. And I'm like, okay, yeah, that's, that's what this, this book is for is the, yes, what you eat yeah. can definitely affect your period. It's, it's exactly that, isn't it? It's letting our bodies function in their most, um, maybe balanced or harmonious way and being able to adapt and account for some of the challenges or some of the other factors that we have in our lifestyle and still finding a really um nice way I guess it is I was going to say resilient and yes there is a resilience to it as well but you're you're right in that sometimes we're dealing with additional factors and it doesn't mean we're not healthy however our bodies are letting us know that they're not quite happy yeah. <laughs> with exactly what's going on and there's lots we can do to support that that in different ways I also yeah. love the monthly report card and maybe that's why it's frustrating as well because you wait and wait and wait and wait and wait to see <laughs> and then you get a bit more feedback and work from there what do you see in your work as some of the biggest lifestyle factors? And you've already mentioned a couple um, that may be getting in the way of us experiencing those really beautiful periods. Yeah. Well, a lot of it's very common sense stuff. So I'll just give a few tangible examples. Um, women, especially young women, can lose their period to not eating enough. This is becoming more and more common. Um so that's something to have on the radar is the body, the brain, you know, needs to see a certain amount of food coming in to be convinced to have a period and or to ovulate and have a period. So that's one example. Um, then I guess in terms of, you know, inflammatory symptoms like period pain or heavy bleeding with my patients, a lot of the strategies sort of anti-inflammatory 
approach to you know reduce that inflammation that can take the form of just improving gut health um making sure you've got enough zinc as an important anti-inflammatory nutrient just give a couple of examples i will share that my experience is a lot of women's periods are better if they don't have if they don't have cow's dairy so this is one of the more Mm. naturopathic i guess I don't want to say controversial parts of some of my recommendations. I I wish it weren't true because obviously dairy is so yummy and so easy and just everywhere. But for some women, dairy does what I describe as normal dairy. So normal kind of A1 cow dairy really does for some women seem to make periods heavier and more difficult. So that's the beauty of that is it's a, it's an easy thing to try. Usually just two or three months, take a break, just see what your periods are like. And then you can decide from there how much you want to carry that forward. Um, other examples would be alcohol. I mentioned alcohol. Alcohol is not friendly to the body. And it's really not friendly, particularly during our 40s, which is during perimenopause, when as our female hormones start to change, our brain has to recalibrate and alcohol is not good for that part of the process. Um, yeah, I love how you say recalibrate. Few, yeah. Yeah, it is. Yeah, it's a recalibration. In in my perimenopause book, Hormone Repair Manual, I talk about like I make the analogy to a computer software update. So during the software update, as you know, you just need to be quite careful, and you don't want any glitches to happen. You don't want to try to reboot your computer. I just want to let it do its thing. But then once you get through the update, you're you know you're back at a new a new um, stable state. So yeah. Yeah, and we're designed to do that. We're designed to fluctuate and recalibrate mm-hmm. ourselves. Yeah. What about if we go back to right at the beginning of um, a woman's cycle or a girl's cycle? Because, again, I know you mentioned in your book that young girls and teenagers, it's a bit different because their body is probably recalibrating in a different way for the first time. Yeah. Um, and they may be experiencing some other signs and symptoms with their periods, which could be completely normal. What are your best tips for supporting hormone hormonal health in young girls? Yeah. Good question. Yeah, they're they're calibrating for the first time, right? Like this is their initial calibration. There's like they're just kind of get their factory settings dialed in there. Um, depending on the girl, that can be a time of um, quite strong estrogen symptoms. It's not necessarily that their estrogen is higher than it would be for an adult woman, but they're very sensitive to it. So mm-hmm. that all that estrogen stimulation can affect mood. It can make periods heavier. And the other thing going on with girls is that um, they're not making progesterone yet, very much of it. So progesterone is the hormone that lightens periods that should sort of, to some extent, stabilize premenstrual, the premenstrual time. And they, because they're just calibrating and learning how to ovulate, basically, that communication between the brain and the ovaries is just starting up. It can take a few years to establish progesterone levels. And so that can also contribute to heavier periods. So I will mention just a couple of tips because it's pretty important at that time to be able to help a girl and, you know, that, so that she can mature into her menstrual cycle without shutting it all down with hormonal birth control. And in, in my view, actually, like an 11, 12-year-old, 13-year-old, 14-year-old, that's actually the worst time to go on the pill Yeah. Um, because that's when she's calibrating her entire system. It affects um, her brain and therefore affects her entire body. Yeah, it affects – in fact, I'll just, I will give some tips, but I'll just say there's this – research a bit of a with all of this topic we're only seeing just the beginnings of the research coming through but there is a study to suggest that um, women who 
took the pill, the hormonal birth control, when they were a teenager, or especially a young teen, then go on in adult life to have three times the risk of anxiety and depression, even if they're not taking hormonal birth control anymore. So it's like just having a history of it. And the in the paper, the researchers talk about how this is biologically plausible because the brain, back to your first question, you know, the brain is affected by hormones and that teenage brain is changing a lot and, and establishing itself. And if it's doing that under the influence of contraceptive drugs, which are not real hormones, that is obviously yeah. going to have an effect. So I'm pretty passionate about helping girls mature their menstrual cycle and, and enjoy their own hormones um, and get the benefits of them. So back to if you've got a teen with like really difficult, heavy, painful periods, I will just go, it's, it's, it's kind of boring, but I will just go back to the try the no dairy thing just for mm. a few months. And even then, if that's helpful, then you might be able to sort of find that you can have A2 dairy or goat or sheep or A2 dairy, which is not inflammatory the way normal cow dairy is. So that's an example. Um, zinc is the other, I, as you know from my books, I'm a huge fan of zinc. I've already mentioned that it's anti-inflammatory. There was a there was one clinical trial where they put zinc head to head with the birth control pill for relieving period pain in girl in teenagers, and they found that zinc did as well as the pill. And then they make this funny comment in the study where they say, "And zinc is cheaper than the pill." And I was every time I read that, I'm like, "Well, that's true." It also doesn't completely shut down hormonal function, so there's that. You know, doesn't change the brain. <laughs> doesn't change the brain. So zinc, yeah. and for anyone anyone planning to give zinc to their teenage girl, it's safe. The thing is, so do give it with food because zinc on an empty stomach mm. can make you feel sick to your stomach, and then yeah, I made that mistake that, a few times. <laughs> yeah, and that's not not fun. But, no, yeah. um, I'm so fascinated by the research you mentioned about um, depression, anxiety down the track, and it makes so much sense from so many different perspectives, doesn't it? But of course, the brain responds to patterns and to yep. input and if we're cutting that input by yep. using something artificial to suppress the body or stop a body systems the brain doesn't have what it needs to build up its yep. normal and proper function it's like all development across life and um, what about as we go through our cycles and I this is for teenagers as well as it is might be for someone entering peri perimenopause are there specific practices that you do or that you can do around certain times of your cycle mm -hmm. to support that Oh, well, as you know, this is a thing, right? Like there's lots of people talking about the different phases of the menstrual cycle. I haven't gotten as deeply into it as some people have. It's pretty, it can be quite fun, I think, to, you know, think about how you're more outgoing around the time of ovulation. And then you might be a little more introverted during the, you know, premenstrual phase mm -hmm. and that's natural. And um, I'll just say a couple of things about it. I think any any changes in your sort of energy state or, should be quite subtle. Like, you know, I think it, it shouldn't be a, a big thing. I, I think um, one thing I don't, like the second thing I want to say is I don't want to add to women's anxiety about making them think they have to micromanage their periods like through every phase. It's, it, certainly for me personally, through the 40 years of menstrual cycles, I didn't worry too much about it. I was just like, yeah. oh yeah, I'm ovulating. Oh yeah, this is why I feel so outgoing. This is great. Yeah. And just enjoying that. And then it's like, oh I, you know, I'm a week before my period. So I think I might just stay in tonight. And but you know, I yeah. could go out if I needed to. And I certainly could work if I needed to, even during the premenstrual phase. But just giving yourself a bit of slack at that time. Um enjoying yeah. it. I like how you yeah. say it. enjoying yeah. it. That's what it's yeah. about. Yeah. yeah. Just noticing the little quirks that might come and um 
yeah the different energies and the different feelings and desires that's cool um during menopause could you explain to us um in a nutshell what's changing and how can we best prepare for this and support this yeah so the real the real thing to know about is perimenopause so i think mm. um i think some of maybe a lot of us used to think that all oh, the symptoms are off if, if we're going to have symptoms of menopause it's way off in our 50s or late 50s like or nope <laughs> It's in your 40s, probably early 40s, mid 40s. That's that's the up to 10 years before the final period. That's when things really start recalibrating. I call it in um, hormonal paramanual, I call it second puberty. So it um, what's changing, I guess the, it, there's different phases throughout that change, but the initial change is, starts with a drop in progesterone. Because remember how I said teenagers find it hard, young teens find it hard to make progesterone? Hmm. Likewise... It, so in first puberty, it's hard to make progesterone because the body hasn't really figured out how to do that yet. In second puberty, progesterone drops away because basically it's just not easy to make. Progesterone requires everything perfect, including, you know, the ovarian follicles or the eggs really vital. And then, you know, to be able to ovulate and have a robust post-ovulatory phase where you make progesterone, that is, that's hard to do. And it's great through our 20s and 30s that we can do that so well and enjoy that and maybe make a baby from that. But at some point in our 40s, progesterone drops away. So that, because progesterone is so influential on the brain, as I said earlier, that is part of the neurological rewiring or recalibration that starts. Women might get migraines, flaring up, sleep disturbance. A lot of that's from the drop away in progesterone. And at the same time, in that early part of perimenopause, estrogen, estrogen starts spiking up to three times higher than in our 20s and 30s. And that is can be very destabilizing, not just from the high estrogen itself, which can um, stimulate a histamine or a mast cell release, kind of an immune inflammatory immune response, but also then if estrogen goes up, it has to come down. So then you get this roller coaster like crashing down of estrogen, which is throughout the cycle, which is towards at the end of the cycle, which is very destabilizing as well. So yeah. the thing to know about the perimenopause years is they are temporary. This is, you know, the hormones are temporarily, well, estrogen is temporarily spiking up to these crazy high levels. That's not going to last forever. Um, progesterone is kind of permanently going away, but we can adjust to that and calibrate to that. Um, if women are really suffering, I, I, they're probably not surprised to hear me say it can be helpful to take progesterone during that time because mm. it can be quite stabilizing. Real progesterone, not hormonal birth control one of my takeaways you probably heard me say or I say in the book there's no progesterone in any type of hormonal birth control so just to be clear even though they call them progesterone only methods or the progesterone IUD or no those are all progestins and they don't progestins do not have the same nervous system kind of stabilizing effect that progesterone does yeah wow I really appreciate your work because I think we know so much about um development in the human body in the early years maybe up to you know early teens or teenagers and we don't tend to talk so much about what's actually happening in the body over the rest of our life because we are changing we're not stuck or stagnant and i really enjoyed hearing about how the brain recalibrates throughout those different phases um mm -hmm. what's normal how to support it and like you say how to enjoy it that was probably the biggest one is this is this is okay um, seek help where you need it. But when we can understand what our body's doing, it probably takes that stigma or takes that anxiety away a lot to know, actually, this is a usual process about being human. 
this is yep. how I can help it. So thank you Absolutely. so, so much for coming yeah. on. Thank you. Thank you for having me. Yeah, it was a great conversation. Yeah, and we're stuck in time, which never happens. <laughs> um, what's the best way for people to find you or to um, follow some of your content? Yeah, I'm easy to find. Everything is linked from my blog, larabryden.com, all my social media is at Laura Bryden. And yeah, as you mentioned, I've got a couple books, Period Repair Manual and Hormone Repair Manual. What I didn't mention is you also have a podcast that I listen to a lot. Yes. So I'll make sure I yeah. like that as well. Yeah, thanks. Yeah. Well, awesome. Thank you, Great. Lara. All right. Take care.